Now you may be there today. Be seated. And that song that says, even when I don't feel that you're working, even when I don't see that you're working. And it could be this morning that there are places in your life where you desperately need God to come through for you. That there are hopes that you have had that are drying up. That there is heartbreak you are feeling that is happening. That there are private places of struggle that you just can't seem to get out of. And it could be today that for some of us, we are here, whether you're in this room or whether you're joining us online, and and you need to know, God, where are you in this? I don't feel you in this situation. I don't see your work in this moment. This, this, This circumstance is so terrible. Where are you? And I want to tell you this that the God who flung the universe, the expanse of the universe into being, the God who holds all things together, the God who holds our earth, knows its conflicts, that God knows your name. That God knows your hurts. God knows your hopes. And personally, he loves you. And he is moving and he is working in your life. That the things that are breaking you today, where you're wondering, where are you? Will someday lead to breakthrough. And so for whatever you are here for this morning, my prayer right off the top is that perhaps God would say this. I know your name. I know what your struggles. And I'm working. Amen. Amen. If you are in this room, you braved uh, single-digit, zero-degree weather to be here. Um, If you are with us online, if you would just tell us uh, where you are and the temperature of where it is. I always go like to go back and read that, and I'm just, it immediately makes me happy for people and intensely angry. So it's it's this conflict because some of you are, oh, I'm at the beach, and it's great. And it was negative three here this morning, so that was good as I wound my car up, you know. Um, but we have been in a John series for over a year, and we're in the book of John for one reason. As I prayed about doing a year-long series, it was to elevate Jesus Christ above all things. That was the whole purpose. Above all pandemic, above all politics, above all problems, above anything, Jesus above all. And we are winding down next week we'll see Jesus crucified. And so last week he was in the garden, in the trial, and and we start here in chapter 18, verse 28. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. The The next verse tells us this, that the priest stayed outside because they didn't want to go inside and be defiled. They didn't want to be um, unclean for Passover. So while they were there, the irony being they're there and they remain outside Pilate's palace to to not defile themselves while bringing an arrested Jesus there and defiling themselves that way. Now there's some strange things going on. Annas and Caiaphas, these two of the high priests and this entire high council of the Sanhedrin, they had finished their mock trial of Jesus, and they bring him to Pilate. And they do this because one of the the rules that Rome had imposed on Israel is that they could not carry out capital punishment. 
They could not do that. They couldn't legally kill Jesus. They had to have Rome's help. It's also important to know that previous to Rome's occupation, a Hebrew high priest would keep that position for life, much like the Supreme Court. But here it already, John tells us there's Annas and Caiaphas. Annas the former and his son-in-law Caiaphas the current. John assumes we know a lot, but but there's just by that statement, there's so much history happening here because this was another indication of something that Rome had changed when they took over. The high priest was the most powerful person in Israel, politically, socially, culturally, spiritually, in all ways. And it wouldn't go well, would it, if the high priest didn't like the Roman government and, and said bad things and stirred up rebellion. The high priest needed to be somebody who would work with Rome and at times maybe for Rome to keep the people from revolting. From revolting. And so we know that Caiaphas had been appointed by the Roman prefect. Caiaphas, the high priest, is motivated to keep peace, the people peaceful with Rome. And if he missteps, well, then Pilate will simply remove him and put in a new high priest. Notice that these, these pious high priests, they've, they've spent all night just beating and mocking and, and all these things they've done with Jesus. They show up this morning. They stay outside to, to stay clean. They stay outside the house. They bring Jesus. And then in the next verse, verse 29, so Pilate, the governor, he went out to them. And he asked, what is your charge against this man? You have a mob show up with somebody bound and beaten. What's your charge? And we're going to see in the next coming bit that there's a bit of a game going on between Pilate and the high priests in the sham of a a court. And I want to stop for a minute and just look at this Roman prefect. I want to look at Pilate, Pontius Pilate, who he is. He was appointed by Emperor Tiberius as prefect in 26 AD. So he's only really been in the job for four years. And in those four years, he has had quite an education. For those of you who like to study further, I had to cut so much of, about Pilate. But go search what Josephus has to tell us about Pilate and some of the missteps he had. Uh, Philo, the historian, tells us that, that um, Pilate was an, an angry, spiteful person, prone to violence. Now, when he was appointed here, uh, he decides not to stay in Jerusalem. He doesn't have his palace in Jerusalem. Instead, he chooses Caesarea. Jerusalem is a holy city steeped in Hebrew religion, culture, and, and history. Caesarea was a very Romanized city. He would have enjoyed that one much more. It had the, we found the remains there of an arena and a racetrack and Roman temples and, and many archaeological finds, including the Pilate Stone that has his name on it and that of Tiberius, proving that he was there at this time. Um, in the holy city of Jerusalem, there, there was no Roman temple, no, no the, these racetracks, and there was a severe lack of Roman culture. Now, it's possible because we find Pilate in Jerusalem on this night. So it's possible, probable, that, that he would go there at certain times during the year when there's a big festival or celebration, when there's lots of pilgrims and people to keep an eye on it. Now, especially, perhaps, Passover. Why? Because Passover is the celebration of Israel coming out from under an oppressive nation. It's a celebration of that. Pilate and his legion are here in Jerusalem. They're not here to worship God. They're not here to see all the the stuff. They're here to keep their presence and power heavy on the minds of the pilgrims who are here to celebrate freedom from oppression. 
saying there will be no rising up. There will be no throwing off of shackles this year because Pilate is charged with controlling and ruling this area. If things get too out of hand, he'll be deposed and, and somebody else will be put in his job. Tiberius will install a new prefect. And what's ironic here is that Pilate is charged by Tiberius the same way Caiaphas is charged by Pilate. Keep the peace. No rebellion, no insurrection, no revolution. John 18, verse 29, Pilate, he asked them, what is your charge against this man? And their answer is almost sarcasm. Well, we wouldn't have handed him over to you if, we weren't, if you weren't a criminal. Like, we didn't get dressed up for nothing. We're not here at 4 a.m. with this guy bloody and bound because we're on a walk. Like, what do you think we're doing here? Of course, it is early in the morning, and Pilate, you know good and well while we're here, there were Roman soldiers with us in the garden when we arrested him. But Pilate is going to reveal through all this that one of the things that he is interested in is keeping um, the, the, Israeli, the, the, the high priest, the Jewish priests, in their place. That they should have to come to him. That he gets to make the ultimate decisions. Verse 31. He says this, Then take him away and judge him by your own law. This is a local and religious matter. Like, leave me out of it. But the priests reply, Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone. Like, we want him dead. We want him dead, and we can't do that. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, and this is to fulfill Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. And then it says Pilate went back into his headquarters. He was outside talking to them. He goes back into his headquarters, sits down probably, and then he calls for Jesus to be presented to him. So now we have an already beaten, bloodied, and bound Jesus standing on opulent floors of the Roman prefect. Pilate gets his turn to ask some questions. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked him. And Jesus responds, Is that your own question, or did others tell you about me? And Pilate responds this way, Am I a Jew? Says he retorted. Now as I read this, I read Pilate, some of his disdain come through. Jesus asked Pilate if he was asking his own question, or if he's just been informed by others. Like, like who's in charge here? Do you actually, is this actually your idea? Now again, Pilate doesn't want to be a, seen as an agent of the high priests. He's the ruler here. He retorts, am I a Jew? How can I know who's king or who's not king? This isn't a Roman matter. Pilate views himself higher than those that he rules. Am I a Jew? Your own people and their leading priest brought you to me for trial. Like, you're here for a reason. Then he asks, why? What have you done? Jesus says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Now, now notice Jesus claims to have a kingdom, but it's not one here that Pilate can see. But he does have a kingdom. And Jesus said if he were an earthly king, then of course he would have an earthly army, followers who would fight for him. He said if I had, if I was, had a kingdom here, then they would have fought to, to keep me from being arrested. Well, there was somebody who tried, didn't they? Peter pulls out the sword, cuts off Malchus's ear. What does Jesus do? Rebukes the violence, heals the ear, and his quote-unquote army fled. 
There, there is no army. Who's fighting for Jesus? Who is in a basement right now planning a secret rescue mission with spears and, 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 and bows? Who's fighting for Jesus? There's, there's no one. He says, if I were a ruler, there would be people here. But he did claim to have a kingdom. And that is what Pilate focuses on. Oh, the next verse. So you are a king. Now this is the question. This is the question. Pilate needs this answered because if Jesus in any way claims to be a king, or if Jesus says there's anyone who's king other than Caesar, well, this is open and shut. This is, this is easy. We execute Jesus. Are you a king? Jesus responds, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. Narrow in on this because we're going to come back to this. I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Jesus says, you say I am king, but actually. There's two things. You say this, but I was born, I came into this world to do what? To do what? Testify to the truth. Jesus' claim is, I am here to testify to the truth. And if anyone, if anyone who loves truth will recognize what I am saying as truth, Pilate's response is so telling. What is truth? Jesus says, I'm here to testify the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? Almost as if like, what is truth anyways, Jesus? What even is truth? Pilate, by his authority, by, by his ability to decree truth, he, use, he has used truth his whole political military career to help him get to where he is. Truth is what he's made of it. What is truth, Jesus? You testify to the truth? Tell me. You're bloodied, you're bound, you're in front of me. What is truth? Truth is what I'm going to make of it. Then Pilate went out again to the people and told them, he's not guilty of any crime. Now, can you imagine how disappointed, how frustrated, how angry the, the chief priests would have been? They went through a lot to make this happen. They planned. They gathered the whole Sanhedrin. They were waiting. It's early in the morning. It was late at night. They, they went through all of it to get Jesus right to this very place. They had to get Jesus with these charges to this man, and this is their chance. And what does he say? I, I can't find anything to make this man guilty. So, so far, Jesus has had nothing that would make him guilty in the eyes of Rome. There's been no insurrection. There's been no revolution. There's, there's no battle or followers trying to free him. The only crowd present that night it, with, with, with torches aren't saying, release our king. They're saying, kill him. This provides quite a quandary for Pilate. There's a crowd of very important, powerful people pressuring him. He adds something interesting then. He says, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? Can you imagine how he might have said that? This king of the Jews, mocking them. I'll release a prisoner back to you. I'll release your king, who you brought to me tied up and bloodied and broken. You know, that king. He wants them to reaffirm their allegiance. Do you want your king back? But they shouted back, No, 
no, not this man, not Jesus. We want Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And it says, and it says Barabbas was a revolutionary. And I wonder what Pilate's thinking at this moment. The priests bring Jesus to Pilate claiming that Jesus was trying to start a revolution. In fact, Luke records in his investigation that Pilate also said this to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. That was the charge they brought him. You brought him to me that he was inciting the people to rebellion, insurrection, revolution. But the high priest, when given a chance, who do they ask to release in Jesus' place? Barabbas who's guilty of actually inciting a revolution. Luke records that Barabbas had been thrown into prison for insurrection in the city and murder. Jesus was found innocent of revolution, while Barabbas had not only led an insurrection, but he had taken up a sword during it and murdered people for it. The irony in this moment is so sour. The high priests beg for Pilate to release a murderous rebel so that someone innocent of rebellion could be murdered. We end chapter 18 with this crowd of priests chanting for Barabbas, release Barabbas, free Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Pilate doesn't give an answer at this point. He turns back inside and begins taking other action. Chapter 19, then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. And now we get into the dismantling of Jesus' physical body with this violent flogging. The Romans had this, it was called verberatio, and it was a severe scourging. The Jewish authorities, they administered floggings in their synagogues as punishment, but it was, a, it was a harsh, public, humiliating spanking. Like, they would hit you knowing that after this was over, you would leave and never do it again because of how humiliating and painful it was. The Romans, there was no after, oftentimes. There was no, you leave the flogging and go and do better. You don't often leave the flogging. When it came to the Roman level of scourging, It was to humiliate, it was to break, debilitate, and defeat this person's will and body. It was so humiliating, in fact, that Roman law made it illegal for any Roman citizen to re receive it. That's how bad it was. They would bind the person to a pole, hands upward, remove their garments, and the, fra the flagrum they used wasn't a bull whip or just with a single whip. No, it, was a, it was a, had multiple straps. Um, here it says lead um, balls at the end and or other objects along with that, and it would strike the back with such force it would burst the skin. I read an ancient historian, Eusebius, as he gave an eyewitness account of the Roman scourging, and I will spare you the vivid, absolutely gory details, but this is a pain that cannot be imagined in our context. It would, it would render the person completely weakened, in shock, breaking their body. Oftentimes it was to make sure there, there was no fighting back for what was next, the crucifixion. But the Roman humiliation didn't stop at a scourging. Verse 2, the, the soldiers, they wove a crown of thorns and put it on Jesus' head, and they, they put a purple robe on him. Now they're dressing him up. You can imagine the thorns as they go in the head, how that would feel. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked, and they slapped him across the face. 
Pilate went outside again. He goes back out to the high priest while this is going on inside. I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly, I do not find him guilty. So he's going to present Jesus, but he wants it known he does not find him guilty. What he does next is pure mockery. Verse 5, when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, look, here is the man. With some theatrics, presenting Jesus dressed in a robe of royalty, bleeding profusely, swollen from the beatings, wearing a crown of thorns that would have blood coming down his face, garnished with a purple robe. Here is the man. Here he is in all his glory. Look at what Rome can do. Look at what I can do. When they saw him, the crowd, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find him not guilty. This is the third time that Pilate has said that Jesus is innocent. He cannot find enough to, to kill him, to crucify him with. He's gone back and forth with the high priests. Each time Jesus is in worse condition, but each time he has the same judgment. Now, we truly don't know what Pilate is, is thinking, but there seem to be a few different um, areas of belief. One is that Pilate is playing a game with them. He knows he will kill Jesus. He simply wants these priests to grovel, to know who it is in charge, to know who it is that can come through for them, to know where they need to go, what true power is. That's one belief. Two, the belief that Pilate does not actually want to crucify Jesus, and he's hoping that these beatings and this severe humiliation, it's an attempt to quell the crowd's thirst for blood. Pilate declares him innocent and listen to their reply. The Jewish leaders reply this. By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. This next sentence is one I prayed and thought on and researched a lot. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. What's he frightened of? What's he frightened of when it says Jesus was calling himself the Son of God? You know, Matthew's gospel tells us that Pilate knew the priests were wanting Jesus dead for their own self-interests. He knew they had their own interests in mind. He knew it didn't further Rome's cause, this whole Jesus thing. We also learn from Matthew's gospel that during the trial, during the beating, Pilate's wife uh, gives him a note. And this note reveals that during the night she had had a dream about Jesus that had woken her up and disturbed her greatly. And it says this, quote, don't have anything to do with this innocent man. So there's lots of levels. We don't fully know what's going on in Pilate's mind and in Pilate's heart. And there could be many different reasons for his fears. Fears of the people and, and the commotion they're causing. These are the most importantly powerful people in Jerusalem out there chanting at him. Fears of uh, something about Jesus and the Son of God and the dream. We don't really know. But whatever it is, they say he calls himself the Son of God. This causes Pilate to go back inside. He wants to ask Jesus some more questions. He has to find out more. Pilate grabs Jesus, takes him back into the headquarters, and again asks him, he starts with a very easy question. Where are you from? Well, Jesus, Jesus had earlier said, my kingdom's not of this world. Well, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. 
Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize I have the power to release you or crucify you? He's saying, listen, your life is in my hands, Jesus. How you answer these questions will decide if you live or you die. So why are you not speaking to me? You should at least answer. Speak up. Your life hangs in the balance. I can kill you. He says, I can crucify you. And then Jesus responds, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who has handed me over to you as a greater sin. Pilate hears this. Goes back outside the fourth time to the crowd of priests. Pilate tried to release him. It says this. Pilate goes out and tries to release him. It's the fourth time. He's trying to release Jesus. But the Jewish leaders shouted. And listen to this. If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. Now the chief high priests are pulling out the big manipulative guns. Suddenly they're so on board with Rome. If, if you let him go, you're no friend of Caesar. That, that would be a huge threat, veiled threat and insult to a Roman prefect. If he's no friend of Caesar, he will be killed. <laughs> He'll be deposed. They tell this to Pilate, and it lands heavily on him, it seems, because the next verse says, when they said this, Pilate's, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again, and then he sat down on his judgment seat platform that was called the stone pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha. He's ready to give judgment. When they said this, he sits down to judge. It was about noon on the day of preparation for Passover. When had this trial started? When did it, what was it? the first verse we talked about? Pre-dawn, early morning. This has been a long, long trial. Passover's approaching. I think that Pilate, after what they just said to him, the way they manipulated and veiled that threat, I think we see a change in his attitude toward these high priests. Because the next thing he says is, look, here is your king. Now before he'd said, here is the man. But now, it seems, knowing his judgment, and wanting to stick it to these priests, he says, here is your king. They've invoked Caesar as a threat to Pilate. And we know from Philo's history that he is a mean-spirited person. So this time, he doesn't present a man. He presents their king to them. Look what Rome can do to your king. Look what Rome can do to your ruler. Broken, bleeding. Here's your king. It's a cruel joke. They beg him, take him away, take him away, crucify him. They need Pilate. Pilate could just say no, and then they're stuck with a, a, a Jesus who's been beaten. They can't kill him. Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Now Pilate's next response, I'll read with a bit of the mockery I think is in there. He says, what? Crucify your king? You want me to crucify your king? And they say this, we have no king but Caesar. Oof. Pilate had to like that. Through this whole morning trial, they have come to see who, who rules. Of all the denials of Jesus, the priests declare that they have one true king, and it's Caesar. 
Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. And that's what we'll pick up next week, with Jesus being turned over. And with the remaining time, I want to go back to an important moment that we read through previously. During Pilate's early interrogation with Jesus, Jesus says something profound I want to zero into. He says, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say, to which Pilate responds, what is truth? What is truth anyways? Pilate's question is a question that plagues our nation. Pilate's question is a question that plagues our culture even to this day. What is truth? In fact, truth has become more and more relative these days. Have you noticed that someone's truth, it's someone's truth now, and it depends on how they feel most often. I talk to so many about their version of the truth, and and oftentimes our version of our truth is what we've accumulated through a lifetime of experiences and beliefs and things that we we like and don't like, and we we arrive at a truth that we have, and and oftentimes people's truth is based on people's feelings, many of us included, with the things that we've come to believe about God, about this world, about ourselves. We hear things like, I'm glad you found your truth. I found mine even if those two things are impossible to both be true at the same time. What is truth? Pilate had the right question. What is true? On this trial, on this night, there are many versions of truth at play. We have the crowd of high priests outside working with the truth that they have uh, from their experience, from, from their agenda and the, the, the truth that they believe, that they're working toward. We have Pilate inside working with the truth that he believes and Roman's, inter- Roman's interests and, and his own agenda. But the priests and Pilate are people who by their power, by their authority, and their politics, they use truth so that people would follow them. We have evidence on both sides that they have abused truth with their people that they have manipulated circumstances, they have manipulated narratives to claim truth that furthers their own agenda, their own authority, their own power. They use truth as a weapon to those who oppose them, and they use truth to manipulate those who follow them. We have the high priest and Pilate both claiming truth, and both of them, they know this. Truth is what you make of it. What is truth, Jesus? I'm about to make something true tonight. Pilate controlled the truth in his own mind. But then we have Jesus in the center of this cauldron of religious and political power struggle. We have Jesus standing calmly, speaking calmly, that that I am here to testify to the truth. All around him, people are bending the truth to confirm their biases. All around him, people are... They're uh, bending the truth to confirm their their agendas, their religious agenda, their their political agenda. Pilate, the high priests, all around him they're doing this, and they're calling it truth. And then we have Jesus simply calling people to himself. And this, men and women, is is a very important point worth looking at. Pilate's question, what is truth? This is an important question. He he has operated throughout his life to arrive at a truth that he believes about himself, 
his experiences and background, childhood, about his politics, about his religion, about his actions. The high priests have grown up in their childhoods, their culture. They studied, they counseled, and they arrived at a, tr- arrived at a truth that justified their positions and their faith and their politics and actions. And, and Orchard, we have to admit, we've got to be honest with ourselves. We have also gone through life with our childhood, with our experiences, our backgrounds, our biases, both good and bad, our politics, our education, our feelings about faith, and arrived at a version that we think is true. And much of what we would all say is true, just like these others, is because it feels good in some ways. While Jesus simply stands there and testifies to the truth, you see, in this life, if we want divine, if we want absolute truth, it isn't in a political party, it's not in a place, it's not in a worldview, it's not a place at all, it's found in a person. Truth is found in a person. Jesus standing there before Pilate, bruised and bound and beaten, he is truth. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, he said this, I am the truth. Absolute truth. Not relative truth. Not truth that change based on how you feel about it. Absolute truth. And here's the bottom line. If you want to know the truth for your life, for your family, for your marriage, for your afterlife, for your character, for your worldview, then you have to be willing to do what Pilate and the priests were unable to, humbly come to Jesus. And instead of asking, what is truth, Jesus? You say, what is this truth you're talking about? You see, Pilate asked the wrong question. When Jesus mentions truth, Pilate could have said, what is this truth? He wasn't interested, was he? Jesus' truth, high above the high priest's religion and schooling. Jesus' truth, high above Pilate's politics and power. And true to this day, to this day, Orchard, still, Jesus is truth above all religion, above all politics, and above all power. Many of whom choose and try to use him and drag him down to confirm their agenda, their bias. But Jesus, the person, is truth. Jesus doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change to align with our feelings. It is our feelings that must change to align with Jesus. Amen. I will say it. It is the areas of sin in our life that we hide that we need to come to Jesus and surrender to his truth. It is our past hurts. It's our past wounds that have convinced you that those lies are true about you that you need to bring to the person of Jesus and know the truth. It is our earthly concerns that hook us and and anger us about other people because they vote differently, they look differently, and they act differently. We need to bring that to the person of Jesus and adjust to his truth. It's our fear and insecurity of our faith that keeps our mouths shut about Jesus that we need to bring to the person of Jesus and hear the boldness of the truth that he asks us to declare. We live in a culture that that asks the same question Pilate asks. What is truth? What even is truth? And most often the answer is, truth is whatever you feel like. 
But the truth of Jesus does not adjust to our feelings because the truth of Jesus isn't relative. It's absolute. It's divine. It's eternal. It's holy. It's unfazed by my discomfort. It's unshaken by a shakable culture. Jesus is the truth. And the reality is, you can come here and you can hear me teach and preach about the truth. And that's a good thing that Jesus established. And you can join a growth group in a Bible study and, and study the truth. And, that would, and Jesus would say that's a good thing. But the greatest investment of your time, the greatest investment of your soul is to personally pursue the person of Jesus. To dive deep into who he is, to know him, to hear him, to speak to him, to listen to him, to love him, to seek him, to, to adjust your sins to him, to adjust your life to him, to love like him in your marriage, to be patient like him with your kids, to become like him in character, to follow him, to know him as truth and align your life with who he is. That would change everything. Jesus is the truth. And he declared, the truth shall set you free. And Orchard, there's a lot of us that need to be set free this morning. Which means we need the truth. Which means we need Jesus. So as we go into communion, before you take the symbol of the element of Jesus' broken body and spilled blood, I want you to ask him these questions. I want you to ask him this. Where do I need to adjust to your truth? What do I need to bring to you? What sin needs to adjust to your truth? What, what hope needs to be re-engaged re based on your truth? What promise do I need to stand on? I'm not living in shame and sin. You, the truth is you've set me free. What glorious truth do you need to stand on today from him? So Jesus, we declare you king above all things. We declare you high above all things. Father, I ask you personally to forgive me any time, any time I have looked for Jesus to confirm my agenda. And we as a church, we repent of anything that we have done that tries to bring Jesus in to confirm our bias and our agenda because we say this and we, it's true, Father. Jesus, you are the head of the Orchard Church above all things, above all earthly agendas. And so, Jesus, we are going to worship you with communion and we ask you to speak to us clearly. And then we're going to stand and worship you in spirit and truth because you are worthy. In Jesus' name.